This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of creator success at Workweek. Let's go. The blog was generating like a very obvious sort of incremental revenue. I could see, you know, this many more blog posts, this probably is much more revenue. And so that math played out for a while. And it was like, okay, well, if I want to get to this revenue goal, I can just write this many more blog posts, right? It was like pretty simple. But eventually it got to this sort of diminishing returns point where I was like, oh, if I want to go to an exponential growth in revenue, let's say a 3x, I simply can't write 700 more posts. I, there's something else has to happen. So it caused like a zooming out moment where I wasn't hyper-focused on what was then the core. We are back at the Leaders Lens podcast with my friend. I just introduce everybody as my friend on, on the podcast, but Kevin Espiritu, CEO of Epic Gardening, the recently acquired Botanical Seeds, 2.5 million subs on YouTube and is doing an incredible job of just creating community and culture and teaching and making educational content fun, which is not always an easy task, but you've mastered the craft, my friend. You do, do an awesome job. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's a tough blend sometimes to make the science and the teaching fun for sure. You have a skill, you have the gift of gab, and we put a lot of work into it. And today I really want to talk to you about what it means to, to triple down on core and pick a focus and why it's things that leaders, business owners, managers should be focusing on as they think about growing their career and growing their business. So first, let's just define the term. When you think of tripling down on, on your core, what does that mean to you? I would say it's the piece of the business or perhaps, you know, in a manager's world, the piece of uh, the team that you're managing that is the unique piece that can't really be as easily replicated as something else. And so for us, that's our content ecosystem that we have. You know, not a lot of companies that sell product, which we sell product, obviously, garden supplies, seeds, et cetera. Not a lot of those companies have the 2.5 million on YouTube or, you know, a blog with many millions of hits or a podcast or all these sorts of different content arms. And so if I take that part away from the business, what does the business look like? It looks way more sort of boring and standard commerce. If I take the commerce away from the business, it actually still looks pretty unique. And so to me, I go, well, you know, there's so many different things that you can do as your team scale, your company scales, especially as CEO, but also in front of the camera too. I go, okay, well, I could be pulled in a million directions, but I have to stay with the special sauce. Otherwise it will not be special anymore. So what do you see happening with businesses and teams that don't take this approach and maybe still take a more generalized approach and picking the things that they focus on? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting for me because prior to, you know, the acquisition of botanical interests, the seed company, and just growing the team in general, it was very easy to stay focused on the core because there was just me and four team members, contractors at the time, you just didn't have enough bandwidth to do a lot of different things. So you had to say, okay, well, today I kind of have to focus on the most important thing. You're always asking yourself that question. But as we've scaled up and you're scaling up, you have growing pains sometimes, raise some capital, you sometimes can say, well, that sounds like a good idea. It won't take us too much time, but you don't sometimes think about the second or third order kind of downstream effects of the time that will take. Like how many meetings is that going to cause down the stream? You know, how many emails, how many sort of communication issues is it going to cause for what the projected sort of return of that activity would be? We've noticed that happening a little bit last year for sure, onboarding different products, testing different things out because the opportunity came in. 
and not really thinking like, okay, well, is this number one, even necessary at all? But number two, like, is this going to just completely deplete our time and attention from obviously the most important things? You bring up a, a crucial point of taking that time to define what is the most important thing? Where are we going in the future? Where, where do we want to be? Because that'll help you when you're making decisions and you're deciding on, should I say yes to this? Is it a hell yes? Or is it something I should just say no to, even though it's really tempting and it seems exciting in the moment, is it aligned with our team and our company? Because there are the downstream impacts. When you say yes to something, you commit to something, sometimes in that moment, we don't think about all of the meetings that are going to be involved and all of the, how it's going to pull our bandwidth, even just mental capacity. When you pull yourself away from like being just obsessed about this core mission, and now you're kind of like brainstorming all these different ideas. It prevents you from actually being your best at this one thing that you need to be the best at. Yeah, I mean, we've noticed that it's weird because it's sort of nested. Like, let's say on YouTube, there's a core focus on YouTube we should be having versus all these different ideas we could be doing on YouTube. But then you zoom out just a little bit. There's four YouTube channels. So which channel should we be focused on? Probably the biggest one. Then you zoom out again. It's like, well, what about all the video that we create? What's the highest ROI channel to develop in general if I'm going to have to pick? It's again, in this case, it's going to be YouTube. Zoom out again. It, well, should I be focused on the blog or the podcast or YouTube, right? Then you get into, that's just the content department. So you come out and you say, well, what about product? Like what's the best product we should be focusing on right now? So it's kind of like from an individual level to the team level, to the department, to the, you know, to the whole company, everyone should be kind of lensing what the most important thing is. But it, it is kind of difficult because, you know, a lot of folks just aren't trained to think that way. Where do you think that comes from? Like, why do you think that the world is, maybe you don't have a thought on this and that's okay, but I feel like the world kind of where we believe we need to be good at everything. And like our focus sometimes is, I don't want to focus on my strength, which is where we're actually going to see the be biggest benefit. But like, we look at these weaknesses we have and we're just like, I'm not good at time management. I need to be good at that and not focus on this thing that I'm actually already excelling at. Yeah. I mean, part of it to me would be because we think it's bad to be bad at something. Right. So if I'm bad, let's say at the hardcore financial analysis of the business or something like that, I would think, well, that's a weakness of mine that does that's bad. So I have to fix things that are bad, but you actually don't. I mean, not bad to get more financially literate for sure. But, you know, if you're that bad there, but you're a 10x talent somewhere else, let's say in creating content or product development or whatever it is, you're totally right. Like I'll take being bad there for being 10 times better than everyone else over here. I don't know, maybe it's just some sort of like old school way of thinking that all bad things are necessarily like objectively bad, you know? I work with uh, strength finders a lot in my coaching. And that's a, a big lesson that we talk through with that curriculum is in reality, the people that are going to be at the best are the people that identify the things that they're great at, because it's generally things that you enjoy. Like if you are a somebody that's really good at being organized, you probably enjoy like taking something that's in a mess and like putting it into systems and giving it structure. And because you enjoy it, you're doing it all the time, just like in your daily life, you're getting a lot of practice with it. And if you can identify how to use those strengths to help you be great in your role, whether it's a manager or a founder, or you're still, you know, an independent contributor looking for your first opportunity, that's how you're really going to excel and shine and find opportunities for you to uniquely benefit the team and grow your career. Yeah, no, I actually remember I did finders in a prior job, I was at a publishing company called Scribe Media, and we did, we were trying to scale up and hire. And so I was on the early team there and I did every personality test you could take effectively to figure out which ones we wanted to give incoming team members. And so I did Finders. I don't remember what my particular ones were or weren't at the time, 
But I do remember basically what you just said. It was like a light bulb moment for me where I realized, okay, this test is saying I'm really good at these six things. I'm actually somewhat poor at these things. And I've realized that every strength's corollary is its weakness, right? If you over-index somewhere, you sort of have to take the downside from that as well. I don't know. To me, it was just an interesting moment. I was like, oh, it's not bad to be weak in something. The awareness piece is so valuable. Just understanding what are my strengths and where are my gaps. And let's get back to the uh, tripling down on the core. And so when you think about picking your focus, what's the process that you use and how has that evolved over the years as you've grown your business? I mean, in the bootstrap days, it was very what will drive revenue and audience growth because it was really just a content business at the time. And so for me, I could give a simple example, like back in the early days when I only really had the blog, I had a YouTube channel, I wasn't really doing too much on it. That's really all that we had. The blog was generating like a very obvious sort of incremental revenue. I could see, you know, this many more blog posts, this probably is much more revenue. And so that math played out for a while. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to get to this revenue goal, I can just write this many more blog posts, right? It was like pretty simple. But eventually it got to this sort of diminishing returns point where I was like, oh, if I want to go to an exponential growth in revenue, let's say a 3x, I simply can't write 700 more posts. I, there's something else has to happen. So it caused like a zooming out moment where I wasn't hyper-focused on what was then the core, the blog, kind of zoomed out and was like, okay, well, I have to architect some sort of different situation. Like I need more traffic to those posts or I need a different channel or, or perhaps later on down the road, it was all the content couldn't get me to the revenue goals we wanted. So I was like, I need to offer products. There's nothing else. There's no other way to do it, right? And so I don't have a great sort of framework for how to do that, but I guess... If you have your North Star goals, you can then ladder those down into your sort of teams or departments and be like, will what we're doing actually get us there or not? And then it'll cause a focus shift if the answer is no. I think that's a simple question to ask, right? Like, will this get us to our goal? Will this get us closer to our goal? And you also kind of talk about the law of diminishing returns. So I think that's an important factor to keep in mind is that an opportunity might get you closer to your goal, but there's the opportunity of cost of something you're not going to be able to do. And is that thing going to be you know, even more impactful and effective in helping your organization move forward? And I feel like you probably get approached with opportunities all the time with the brand you've created for yourself. And yeah, man, I mean, I think we fell prey to some of them for sure, because sometimes it's just wrapped in such a package, right? That email comes in or that call, you get jazzed after a particular meeting and you go, this actually makes sense. You think it makes sense. It, you truly do. And so you go ahead and explore it. And then very quickly, it, it reveals itself to be either a headache. Like sometimes, I mean, the, the problem is not that the opportunities aren't good. It's that they're not to scale of what you're trying to do. You know, so we'll get opportunities all the time where someone's like, you know, I want to come on and do this with your email marketing, or I want to offer this product line, or you could white label this product or dropship this product. And it's like, great, that might add 10 grand a month to our revenue. We're doing I don't know how much more than that, but significantly more where that's not moving the needle at all. And so someone else is coming to you with what they think is the golden goose. And you're like, actually, from our vantage point, it's sort of not a good opportunity at all. But it, it's tough to build the discernment muscle of noticing that. And then even if you notice it, sometimes you still want to do it, right? Because it's cool. And so saying no twice, basically, to refocus on what's important. That's great. Because there's also the impact on the brand equity as well. Like if you're selling somebody like, all of these products, eventually they're going to be burnt out. And like, Kevin, stop selling me stuff. Like my garden is good. Yeah, which happens sometimes. I think that's a dance, right? Especially with a content business like like ours, we're primarily educating and entertaining and trying to inspire. Every so often, you do have to sell the product though, right? 
And so when you're in a hardcore selling mode, like a big sale or a new product launch or something, you're always going to get someone who's going to say, hey, stop selling to me. But you're totally right. Like if you start taking on every new retailer that that comes to you and you're peppering that in every piece of content ever, it's like the fatigue sets in and you're right. The brand equity starts to dilute. They're like, wow, these guys will just kind of work with anyone, won't they? So I feel like another challenge that people face as they're trying to really niche down and pick something to focus on is you're scared of all the missed opportunities. Like if I'm only focused on this group, like what about all the other opportunities that I'm interested in as well? What should people be thinking through as they're deciding their focus and really trying to figure out you know, yeah. what path forward to take? What I'll do is, it really is a constant sort of rethinking exercise. So let's say for us, right? We started out as a content business. We added product. One of those products is a raised bed garden. There's a lot of growth in that, but we also realized if we want to become you know, a $100 million company, we can't get there just with that product line. So we have to do something else. So it's like, this thing is cranking. It's doing really well. At the same time, we sort of have to not kill it, but we have to metaphorically kill it in our minds and say, okay, that's great. We're not going to deprioritize that at all, but we need to go hunting for the next version of that. Either it's a supplier that we can find or maybe a product we have to invent. And we did it. We did it with these seed trays that we found that eventually we actually just acquired the company and hired the guys, our product developer. And so, look, I'm no expert. Like I've made this mistake a million times of having the North Star. Unless that North Star changes, you have to check everything you do against it. But it's so easy, like as the quarters roll by to forget, oh, like that's actually not going to get us to the 100 million a year, whatever your personal goal is or team goal is. I think we talk about the journey in that as well, because you had the raised beds first. If you don't have that first, then you don't move on to the next thing, which is maybe even more closely aligned to your goal. But just the fact that you're like getting started, it doesn't mean that you're not going to adjust and evolve and grow along the way. But you can't have these learning moments without getting the journey started and having a focus. I think it really does accelerate the growth, which is a point I think a lot of people miss. There's a few people that I have like unofficially mentored, either friends or online connections or some family members and stuff on just how to build a more on the content side of things, a blog or YouTube channel or, or whatever. And some of them have become quite successful and some of them have not. And I would say the absolute only significant reason I can tell and why someone has not is because they cannot focus on something long enough for it actually to work. And so, you know, take a blog example. Like At some point, you have to just get enough reps in on writing blog posts and trying to get some attention on those that the compounding cycle starts to flow. And some folks just, for whatever reason, personal, professional, different motivations in life, maybe they have kids and that's more important to them at that in that season, but they interrupt the sort of growth cycle before they can ever see anything. There's that whole graph, you know, where it's like, you are here yeah. and it's like right before something ramps up. I think almost everyone ends before they see the significant growth. When you're looking back in the rearview mirror after something's grown, you're like, oh yeah, like that makes complete sense. That's how it played out. You know what I mean? But if you can never see it, then you don't have the like real world feedback in your life to actually believe someone like myself or you who's saying exactly this advice. You know, we know it because we've seen it. Don't interrupt the growth cycle. Like that's an awesome, that might be the title of your first book. I feel like it works perfect with your brand. If there you ever go. write like a business book, it's going to yeah. be the title of it. But it's so true. Like we just stop, we get discouraged, we get distracted. And it just prevents us from like having those key moments of insight and clarity on like, oh, this is why what I was doing before wasn't working. 
And that's where you really start seeing the exponential growth come in. So that's a beautiful analogy. And it's, I mean, it's perfect for your brand as well in gardening. So I have a, a personal question. I have a girlfriend now that loves indoor plants. I feel like we have too many plants. Is there too many plants that somebody can have inside? I'm trying to figure out how to have this conversation with her. And I don't know if there is. I mean, if she's infected with the houseplant bug, good luck trying to cure it. You <laughs> have you know? seen, so you've yeah, seen it. You've experienced it. You've seen oh, it yeah. other people. I've seen this. Well, there's a whole, like back in 2016, 2017, probably through a little bit of the early pandemic times, houseplants like came back in the biggest way they had since I think the 1970s. And so, I don't know, Plants Arena, Urban Jungle, like there's all these creators who've come out and kind of popularized the like indoor jungle, right? So growing all these tropical, subtropical plants. And I'm definitely into it right now. I'm more into the outdoor stuff, but yeah, I mean, good luck, man. It's, (laughs) it it beautifies the space. As long as there's not like pests coming in, you're in a good spot. No, it's it's been enjoyable for sure. It's just, I wish we could go to Trader Joe's without coming home with a plant sometimes, you know? Like a new orchid or something like that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's awesome. But Kevin, I really appreciate the time. I know you're a, a super busy person working through an acquisition and bringing teams together is a lot of work, but, you know, coming together on Leaders Lens to share some of your wisdom is, has been super helpful. I recommend following Kevin on every platform. I was just reading through one of his threads today on how to talk to a camera and I'm really like active and trying to grow on short form. So you had some great tips in there. I, I really appreciated it. Kevin, you're the man. Hey, thanks man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leaders Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leaders Lens, please tell a friend.